the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We are talking about John Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And back with us again, we have Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez from the Cornetto Minute. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Thanks for having us back. Welcome back. We are talking about Iron Man Minute 58 today. On today's show, the minute starts with Tony working hard on the arm components for the Mark II. And it ends with Tony asking Obi how it went. And we are left on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. We're, we're full in montage mode here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love a good montage. I really oh, do. Yeah. There, there's nothing <laughs> satisfying, more satisfying than that. You can overdo them. You know, it's called the, you know, the Rocky Four syndrome. You can overdo the montage <laughs> for sure. But, but, yeah. uh, I love, there's, there's few things as, as powerful as, as a good montage in a, in a, in a movie, especially a blockbuster. Like in Rocky One. Like in Rocky One. Yes. Like in Rocky One. <laughs> You can really trace the whole <laughs> the, the, the lineage, <laughs> yeah, the lineage of the right. montages. Oh, we invented montage. Oh, look, uh, look how quickly we learned to totally abuse montages. Yeah, uh, it, by the time Rocky Four hit, I we're so we're in kind of the closing. Actually, I would say this is kind of the closing minute, but we're we're deep into montage territory. The montage that that sort of feels like it started with the comedic beat in the last minute, and now we're, uh, you know, where we start this minute and. And, and we get the arm stuff and it's a great it's a great joke it's a great setup and a really funny payoff i i really like this minute. it's very satisfying oh yeah this goes to the whole idea that they're playing with these these comic moments that uh, and john favreau is really just enjoying it clearly uh, because it's only been you know a, a very short time since our last joke but here we have another opportunity to do something funny and just give the audience a, a moment of levity as as tony you know he's he's playing around with this device and you know it's one of those moments where he's got the funny he's got a line that works nicely in context with the action you know the way that it all plays he's like no it's it's completely harmless and then he blasts himself uh backwards <laughs> yeah you know it's hard to have too much fun Mm-hmm. And I, I was just thinking, right. it's so interesting, you know, we, we were talking about how grounded it is and how how realistic and grounded like the science is and technology. And it's so interesting how in 08, we had another movie come out this summer, The Dark Knight, that was also grounded. And mm-hmm. I just think it's so interesting how John Favreau, in this world, it's grounded and realistic in kind of an optimistic, fun way, yeah. where everyone sort of reacts to things like a person would. Which is like funny and mm-hmm. awkward and kind of wrong. And I don't know. And Dark Knight is grounded and realistic, but in this very like, I make my own destiny very when, I, when I flip this coin. You're fine. You either live lives long enough to see yourself become a, like no human being has yeah. ever <laughs> spoken like anyone in a Christopher Nolan movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I don't know. It's just interesting to me how, how things like realistic and grounded can be taken to very different styles. Yeah, that is weird. That's very weird. I, you know, and here's, here's another thing, right? So we're talking about grounded and, and this, this, uh, this minute features one of my favorite things in the Iron Man films, which is the hologram that he can interact with. So satisfying. It's, yeah. it's, right, right. it's oh. incredible. And, and I, and this goes back to that sort of grounded feeling of like, we were talking about how, oh man, there's all these practical effects and it's this, you know, you've got the puppet leg and the whole thing. And, and that's the reason why this movie works. And then you have this moment where he lights up a table and this magic hologram shows up and you're just like, oh, okay. So we got this magic hologram. And then, 
then immediately they grounded by having him put his hand, his arm into the hologram and then turn it around like it's a real object. And it just adds that grounded element to it of like, even though it's, it's absolutely just magical, right? It's, it's, it's not a right. thing that exists. It's not a thing that I think could exist very easily. Um, and it's, and certainly nothing that could exist instantly the way that it seems to here. Um, but, right. but it is, it is just so satisfying to see him interact with this thing in that way where like that's that's i think the the trick to good cg is having your characters interact with it in a way that is believable you know yeah. um and not have it just seem like it's this this thing on a plate that is on a green screen yeah. you know um i yeah. i'm not i'm not sure if this was a thing that was planned ahead of time and you know robert downey jr was sort of hitting his mark or if they told him to just like pretend that this thing is here and act like you're putting your arm in it and then we'll animate around your actions but regardless of whatever it was that they did it just works like gangbusters it's so satisfying and cool well, especially because the follow cut is so great. Like it could it's it's almost one shot, right? He turns his arm over and then we immediately cut from hologram on his arm to his arm in almost the exact same position, getting the real thing with wires hanging off of it on his actual arm that he's made it. So, again, this this idea that you, that you guys brought up last time that, you know, what is the the timeline how long does it take him to manufacture these things that go from you know a magical hologram to something he can snap on his arm it doesn't matter it's the length of one cut and it's still incredibly satisfying mm -hmm. that that we see him make this thing and it's 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 a luxury that i think the movie only earns after seeing him in the cave with jensen yes where yep like the, the yeah, you know that. yeah it teaches the audience and now then like they don't have to see it again Right. Well, it's the whole idea that, you know, this is this is what he can accomplish in a cave. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and he can do some amazing stuff building this suit in the cave with all of his parts. What can he do when he's given all of his tools in his basement? And it's just I mean, it is it's like it's like every every teen comic book readers dream to like go into their basement and kind of you have all the fun tools to kind of be crazy and invent all this crazy stuff i mean it's it is working perfectly in line with the the comic book world and and it is grounding it really nicely in in reality and it works so well because favreau really has a good sense as to how to transition through this montage from designing it on the screen to seeing this fantastic digital floating version to having him put it on uh, to using it i mean it's it's done so nicely and so effectively in this minute it's just it's amazing yeah the other part of it that i think is is really nice which i don't know that i've ever noticed before uh but i you know breaking it down a minute at a time you start noticing little little details and there's this really great bit where after pepper walks in with i guess i don't know coffee lunch breakfast i don't know what that is um but she comes in she comes walking in and he's got his arm fully in the sleeve of this thing and there's a beat where he tries to lift it off the thing and it's too heavy and he has to use his other arm to help pick up the arm <laughs> right yeah. and, and it just goes to show you that like yeah no this thing is really heavy and part of the engineering of this thing is like yeah it's one thing to get this thing to work 
right? It's another thing to get it so that he can walk in it. It like also he, has to be a suit. Right. Yeah, it has to be a suit. Yeah, right. Like, like you know, yes, this part it works, but now he's got to build a, an overlay over this that will change his movements, his natural movements, and reinforce them to be able to move these heavy things, right? And and he hasn't gotten to that point yet. He hasn't built like the muscles of the suit yet. He's just built this sort of skeleton and, and, and circulatory system of this suit. And so he needs help lifting it because it's really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it, it, I, I love this sort of the, the repetition of this particular gag, too, where it's another example of Tony building, like, the as you say, the skeleton and then testing it out in an incredibly dangerous way. Like, before he's built any of the safety systems, he's going to go ahead and try to fire the weapon part or, or you know, turn on the, the you know, the part that is uh, the biggest, baddest explosion, explosive part uh, before he's finished. And that is something that, I, I mean, any garage head would do. Like, that just feels absolutely natural to a kid playing with toys. And it's, it, it's, I, I find that very satisfying. And again, this is just like the one we talked about the last minute. That whole, the, the whole setup payoff gag works so well here when he, you know, throws himself out of frame. Right. Uh, and, and blows up his thing. And she turns around with that, you know, we might as well have a sad trombone play with the way Pepper looks at him after that. <laughs> yeah, just like the the, the, the the stray bits of paper and notes that just fly out. Yeah, <laughs> debris. <laughs> I feel like John Favreau in this in this moment, he definitely had one of those like air horns off camera. That that he blew to like to make to make them like shocked and turn away and stuff. Yeah, get that visceral. Get, yeah, get that totally. visceral reaction. Yes. Just like without telling them, just like blew right, an air right. horn. It's uh, it's it's definitely it's it's the most elf the movie ever gets for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, you, know, you think about Will Ferrell like launching over the tree and falling in one shot. <laughs> right. Right. And it's and it's great effects work. I mean, I don't know if they uh, you know had Robert Downey Jr. on a wire rig, and and I mean that's what it looks like. They have him on a wire rig and probably just yank him back. But I mean the whole thing just it, it works so so fluidly, that, and it's all just in this this nice long shot, and it just it's it's just just it's crisp and clean, and it's just it's a beautiful effect done really well here. There are a couple things. Uh, one, when he's putting his arm in the fantastic digital version that we have uh, on the light table. I think every time I watch this, I'm mesmerized by it and I'm staring at it and I'm watching him put his hand in it because it's just so cool looking. But it looks to me as he's putting his arm down into it and the camera's moving toward it, that if you look to the right of the screen, it looks like a stand and a sandbag for a lighting unit that it was probably on set that uh, I don't think anyone was really paying attention to because they're all watching this digital magic happen in front of their eyes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it does look oh, like darn. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think I think my guess is that it probably got in the shot and they were just like, I mean, it just kind of looks like everything else that's in this room. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. It might as well be another stand of some tool yeah. of his. Yeah. Right. So What's I someone going to do? Watch it minute by minute, frame by frame? <laughs> <laughs> no one would ever. Uh, 
And then when he's putting the actual arm unit in, there were a couple things that I caught here. One, we see Pepper start walking down the steps in the background, and then she stops and stands like at the at the second step for just a moment before she continues down the steps again. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining that they were probably she probably started walking and then they said, no, wait, 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 wait. OK, now go. And I imagine it was a cue thing. But I guess, you know, story-wise, I like to imagine maybe she's, like, typing something in on a control panel up on the wall upstairs on her way down the stairs. Who knows? Oh, sure. Yeah. Access granted. Exactly. Exactly. My voice is my passport. (laughs) Verify me. (laughs) And then the other thing I was going to point out that I've never noticed before, Dummy is in the back, looks like dusting the uh, (laughs) roadster back there. Oh, man. I love that. <laughs> Never caught that. That's so good. Yeah, such an interesting little uh, thing to be doing. But uh, it's like, you know, he's putting his robots to use uh, every chance he gets. Also, as he as he blasts back, Dummy looks up and follows him back. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just pretty great. It's like, wait, what happened? Oh, man. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Dummy, Dummy actually reminds me a lot of uh, Doc Ock's arms in Spider-Man 2. Oh yeah, kind yeah. of. Kind of, yeah. Especially the the I guess we'd call it the face of it, but the mm-hmm. end of the hand where it's got like the little the three claws. Yeah. It does kind of have that look and the way that it kind of it's it's using it like it's looking around almost like it is a little face. Right. And yeah. and it has like a personality they're, sort they're, of. Yeah, they say they're, per, yes. it's per, they're personified in very similar ways and that we do sort of let that little claw thing become its mouth and its face at the same time. <laughs> right. It's cute. I I really enjoy these robots. I think they're funny. There's a a bit in one of the um, newspapers. I think when you're looking at the at the very beginning of the film, when it's the award ceremony, and there's all the like the little PowerPoint presentation exposition of of who Tony is and all that. There's an article in there about when he was at MIT and built these robots and how he actually built them to have. I think it was like to have like a personality or something, or they would adapt their personalities would continue to adapt based on on how he treated them or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I thought it was really interesting because he's constantly berating them, which makes me think that it's only going to make them worse and worse. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he secretly it's like thinks it's funny. Spiral. <laughs> right, right. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think one day he's going to upload all these videos to YouTube and he's going to make a killing after retiring. Look how funny I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's saving it for a new channel. Yeah. I'd be feel like I'd be doing a disservice to this to this minute if I didn't make some comment uh, about Robert Downey Jr.'s impeccable posture. You guys notice that? This guy is a just rail straight. And uh, I feel like there should be some credit due to the uh, onset chiropractic care that I'm sure he got during the making of this movie. He's in amazing shape. I want to say, like, he, well, he's a, he's a student of the martial arts, if I'm not mistaken. But I also want to say he's like a trained dancer or did some dance training. Yeah, oh, he definitely walks like it. I, I think Chaplin? so. I, yeah, that's right. For Chaplin, you're right. Um, yep. And he yep. definitely does yoga and stuff. So I think that's part of it as well. But I do think that he is exaggerating uh, his posture in this moment with the arm because he's trying to hold himself he, upright. Right. He's, he's bracing himself and, and is trying to like, sort of like, okay, well, if this thing weighs like 50 pounds, how would I need to hold myself to hold this up one handed, you know, because yeah. it looks like he's putting all of the weight sort of like in the back of his shoulder, which gives him that sort of like very proper posture look. 
But then you scrub forward when he walks upstairs in front of the fountain. That's a guy who knows neutral position yeah. right there. That's a guy yeah. whose ears, shoulders, hips, and ankles right there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually another good opportunity to look at his chest piece here because it's really glowing at that point. Whereas uh, in, in earlier when he's sticking his hand into the digital arm, now granted he's wearing like a dark, it must be a thick shirt or something, but mm-hmm. you don't see any glow coming from his chest at all at that point. So oh, and again, when he goes upstairs, this is, and I, I'm so curious about Tony's wardrobe. When does he decide today I'm going to wear a shirt that has a hole cut in it for my piece, uh, for my arc reactor to, to protrude from. And when I'm going to wear a shirt that is covering it up. Well, it's like anytime he needs to do some work that requires the bandolier. I've never made that connection before, but it seems like that's that's where we get the cutout. Yeah. Yeah, because he's definitely wearing, it's not the same bandolier, but there's definitely some form of a strap that he's got on right. as he's yeah. something modular. It's a Mach yeah. 3, uh, Mach, Mach 3 bandolier. Mach 3 bandolier. <laughs> <laughs> um, One step ahead. I also notice, like, uh, and, and I guess this, that is what you would do, but, um, I don't know. There's just something about the, the storytelling of the fact that, like, all of the shirts that he wears when he cuts out the chest piece, it's all, like, sort of packs of t-shirts, like Hanes t-shirts that you just buy buy they're all like very just like plain like single color shirts that he just cuts a hole in the middle of which is uh which is good it's his grease monkey shirt it's utilitarian yeah yeah um very perfectly cut out i might add i don't know who's doing the cutting maybe dummy right i i was wondering about that i i I, i'm sure he did it once and then and then again automated (laughs) it after that (laughs) right He's got the, that. Maybe that's what those circles, the discs were that he was cutting for. So they could, uh, they could oh, yeah. use those when they were tracing <laughs> the stencil. holes in his shirts. <laughs> it's a stencil. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you know, do They're we prob- really need this scene where the machine is building <laughs> stencils for his shirt cutouts? I don't know if we do. Maybe we should cut this. Uh, but let's leave them in the shot. We'll leave them in there. Uh, <laughs> So Tony does um, come upstairs. Uh, Pepper comes down and says, Obadiah is waiting upstairs for you. And he says, I'll be right there. And, uh, and then he has his wonderful little accident, which is a great transition. Another fantastic Favreau transition to to mm-hmm. him running up the stairs yeah. with a, a jaunty hop. He's okay. He, uh, He's okay. He's <laughs> okay. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> Uh, we're all fine here now. How are you? (laughs) Emerging out of his garage and into back into his like playboy businessman world. Right. With the piano and the the beautiful architecture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, The stuff in his house. uh, We were talking about this in earlier minutes, just like these paintings and statues and the waterfall and just everything in here. And this, this Bluthner uh, grand piano that, uh, that, uh, Obadiah is playing. I mean, that's, I can't remember. I looked it up. What was the price of those? Those are like very pricey, uh, $50,000 pianos. That's right. Oof. And he's got pizza on it. I was just going to say, yeah, <laughs> pizza that he brought from New York. <laughs> Jeff Bridges is uh, back. Of course, he's playing Obadiah Stain. He is playing uh, Concerto in Do Maggiore per Pianoforte ed Orchestra Larghetto, which is a mm. song composed by Antonio Salieri. And the 
in story, I guess, behind that is Salieri and uh, uh, Mozart were rivals. And the idea was to have him playing one of Salieri's songs ah. because he and Tony are rivals. Ah, I like that. And always, always nice reaching just out of reach for the glory that his rival so easily wins yeah. time and time again. Exactly. That's right. Oh, man. Exactly. I've never I've never thought about the, the comparisons between those two, those two, the, these two characters and those. And that, that's perfect. I love that. That's great. Yeah, that's one of those real subtle touches that uh, yeah. when I read about that, I'm like, oh, that's just a genius way to man. play that. Amadeus, yeah. what a great movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No. I wonder who's going to do the uh, Amadeus Minute. The Amadeus no. Minute, right? Oh, no. <laughs> it's a lot of minutes. Sure, it's on the way. Uh, it is. It is definitely a lot of minutes. Uh, and actually, the the song as it's being played, it's actually Ramin Jawadi who's actually playing that track. So, oh. uh, yeah, our composer is playing it himself, which is great. We just get a very hint of this. Tony comes up, he says, "How did it go?" And uh, we get, you know, Jeff Bridges is great at these sorts of things. He gives Tony just a quick little look, and that's it. And then back to the piano, and that's that's kind of the end of the minute. But Jeff Bridges, you know. I don't know if you need much more than that. It's a great way to end our minute. It's true. Do you guys have anything else for this minute? No, I don't think so. No, no, just it's really, truly a beautiful poem. I have, I, I, have th- I have thoughts on Obadiah, but you know, there's plenty more of him in the next minute. Definitely. Yeah, we'll be we'll be talking about him next time. Well, guys, thanks again for uh, joining us today. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having us back. What are you going to plug for everybody today? Well, uh, today, you know, for the last few years, maybe even more than a few years, maybe a lot of years, uh, <laughs> we've been doing uh, The Doctor's <laughs> Companion, which is uh, a, a, a podcast in which Scott Corelli and I, and of course, Cassandra Fredrickson, are making our way through every Doctor Who adventure, one doctor at a time. Uh, so that includes, of oh, course, wow. the, the new show that we're all enjoying with Jodie Whittaker. Um, but... Um, also going through the old stuff, the first doctor, second doctor, third, and so on, adventure by adventure. And if that sounds daunting uh, and impossible, it is, but uh, it, it, it's actually a lot of <laughs> it's um, I'm experiencing all of it for the first time. And uh, Scott and Cassandra wow. very patiently allow me to listen in on their their conversations. <laughs> I'm slowly, <laughs> after six or seven years, I think I've unlocked like 5% of the mythos. <laughs> And it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. So it's very it's it's built to be accessible to casual listeners or new fans of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's really enjoyable. So go check out the Doctor's Companion. Yeah, we write uh, we actually write recaps for each individual episode that we cover because, you know, Classic Who was done in uh, a serialized format. And so we do we write little recaps so that even if you don't want to, if you're like a new Who viewer and you're not super interested in going back and watching that old stuff because it doesn't hold up for you for whatever reason and you might want to you're just kind of interested in that era without actually having to watch it. Our show is actually a really good, uh, uh, really good way of sort of, uh, getting what you need out of it um, without actually having to go back and watch it because of those recaps. I'm, I'm really proud of, uh, what we've been doing on that show. That's actually the show I've been doing the longest because Nick and Cass, uh, were, uh, they, they joined the show as, uh, my new co-hosts in like, 
2013, 2014, something like that. Mm. Somewhere, whenever Peter Capaldi uh, became the Doctor. Um, and okay. before that, I actually had started it in 2009 um, when wow. when uh, David Tennant regenerated. His regeneration episode, The End of Time, were like the first two episodes of The Doctor's Companion in 2009. Um, and I've been doing it since then. Uh, and then we, we switched to this this new format that we call uh, Doctor Who the Long Way Round. <laughs> we uh, we switched to that format uh, like three years ago, something Jesus. like that. Probably, yeah. yeah, three or four years ago, something like that. Um, so uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, so if you if you like Doctor Who, uh, check it out. I I am uh, woefully inexperienced in Doctor Who. Like I I have dabbled in each Doctor. I think, but uh, if you know, I'm looking at this. You've got 350 some odd or 30 some odd. It looks like uh, posts. If you were to uh, to to give a, a sort of ratio of how many shows you've talked about compared to the entire catalog, how far through through it are you? Like I said, we did recently switch switch the format. So yeah. the old format was like a little. It was a little different. It was mostly the new stuff, and um, we would occasionally talk about like very specific stories with my old co-host and I. Uh-huh. It wasn't until recently that we switched switched it up. So I would say, for for the um, for the three of us, I'd say we're maybe oh man, ten percent. Maybe, okay. maybe ten percent. Holy cow! Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, Nick, wow. I'm I'm basically the early version of you. I have I have never seen a Doctor Who episode. I've seen like parts of it, like when the guy with the big blonde fro back in the day. Mm-hmm. But that's it. I've never actually watched a full episode. Yeah. I feel yeah. yeah. It's, it's like it's daunting when you say that. I'm like I don't even know. Yeah. Where to begin with something like I, that? Yeah. I, I try to I try to just keep it centered on the present. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, I that's yet another one I need to jump in on. I feel like that's I've I've had it in the back of my head. I need to. I need to get back into Doctor Who, especially with Jodie Whittaker. I've been very excited to... I haven't watched a single episode of what she's got going on, but I've heard really good things. Mm-hmm. Well, it's taking a long... The show's taking a long nap, so we all have plenty of time to catch up. Yeah, it's not coming back for another year. So, like, oh. some sometime in 2020 is when the next season will be. Wow. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah, well, you know, the BBC. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do whatever they want over there. Oh, exactly. <laughs> There's only so many sound stages. And quarters. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. <clears throat> Only so much space. Everybody enjoys a holiday on that side of the pond. You got to love that. I, they do seem to take holidays all the time, I swear. Well, and now who knows the impact of Brexit on Doctor Who? I think that's, <laughs> that is a grand national question that must be answered. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up uh, here, everybody. Uh, that's it for today's show. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free over at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Reel. Until next time, true believers. True believers.